This episode of The How of Car Washing is sponsored by Diamond Shine. Diamond Shine is the premier car wash chemical manufacturer dedicated to maximizing the profitability and performance of car washes nationwide. Visit diamondshine.com today to learn from the industry experts. Welcome to the How of Car Washing, the podcast that helps the car wash owner, operator, and manager address the challenges and opportunities associated with building and running automated car washes in today's fast-paced environment. And now, here are your hosts, David Begin and Henry Lopez. All right, my guest today is Ryan Cook. He's the Managing Director of Business Development for Diamond Shine Chemicals. Ryan's been in the chemical industry, the car wash industry, for about 20 years, He's primarily focused on chemicals, but he's done all aspects of uh, car wash service. And uh, Ryan, thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me. It's going to be an exciting topic on chemicals, something I am not an expert in. So you're going to have to help me kind of dissect it a little bit. And I know there's a lot of people out there that don't fundamentally understand what chemicals do uh, when it comes to washing a car. So I, I think it would be great to kind of talk about, uh, you know, some some basic things about chemicals, and then we'll kind of, yeah, I know you've got some ideas of, uh, you know, different different ways that cleaning comes into play. But, uh, you know, chemicals have been around a long time, and you've seen a lot of changes probably in the last 20 years. What are some ways chemicals have changed um, in in the time for in the twenty years you've been working in it, but what 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 are you seeing? What, what's changed, and where, where do you think it's going? Sure. So I, I think uh, over the time frame that I, that I've been in the industry, one of the biggest changes is from really simple formulas. So a lot of times, uh, especially early on in the, in the evolution of car wash, we've kind of always stole technologies from other industries, and so some of the basic initial chemistries were like laundry detergents and dishwashing detergents and really kind of formulated around those those types of products. And now you're seeing companies that are like ours that are totally focused, and, and we're not the only one, but, but quite a few companies now that are totally focused on making specific car wash chemistry. And beyond that, our raw material suppliers are now making specific raws that are, that are designed just to work in vehicle cleaning. And, and so that's really brought us, you know, a long ways technology-wise, um, even cost-wise, and um, it's just allowed us to produce, you know, a better end product for the operator. So when you talk about chemicals, now I, the, my familiarity with chemicals is entering the information on an MSDS sheet into like our, our city's got a website where I've got to enter it in because they want me to track all the chemicals that I have in case there's a fire. They'll be able to pull it up and find out, you know, what's what's in the building. But as I go down that sheet, I can see different listings of chemicals and the concentrations, and then it gets to an area where it's kind of, vague i think sure um, it's just proprietary blend yeah. or something like that yeah yeah, yeah. so it's it'd be a blend but um so in in what what's what's specific about without getting in a lot of details what what are what's specific about washing cars that's different than washing clothes or washing dishes or anything else you know one of the issues there is that it's just all the varied surfaces of the vehicles i think when you're talking about cleaning something in your household you have a very controlled environment and you have a very long wash cycle. Uh, with like a dishwasher, it's about an hour. When you're washing a car, you're talking, trying to do this in, you know, three to five minutes typically or, or even less. And on top of that, you got an incredible amount of, of variables and an incredible amount of different types of soils that are being deposited on the car. And they're being deposited on, on you know, various surfaces like metal, 
chrome, plastic, painted surfaces, unpainted surfaces, um, the different metals that you have on just even in the wheels. I mean, there's there's, there's an incredible variance between the different types of wheels that are that are manufactured out there. You got rubber, you got glass. So with all that and then the different types of soils and then, of course, the short time period that we're trying to wash a car in to create convenience for the customer, it just really – you really need uh, a chemicals that are going to work quickly enough and effectively enough without hurting the surface of the car. And that's the other thing. At the end of the day, you know, if you, you screw up washing a dish, you know, you spend a couple of bucks. You screw up you know, washing a car and you're buying a paint job. It's not a good thing. Yeah, so. yeah. So there, there's a lot going on in the process. That's interesting. So um, – so and one thing that I've sort of, I'll, I'll give you a little bit of my limited knowledge on, on car washing. I know there's low pH and high pH chemicals. And when you say high pH, is that acid, acid-based chemicals, or is that low pH? No, it's, it's another good question. It's probably one of the most common misnomers or, I guess, whatever misunderstandings in the industry is that high pH is a, is a base. It's an alkaline. Um, and to kind of give you an idea of things in your household, like baking soda would be, would be a high pH cleaner, typically oven cleaners like uh, uh, 409. Those those types of products are all alkaline-based type chemicals. Low pH is specifically talking about acids and, and kind of going back to household chemicals or household products. Uh, lemon juice would be a low pH, vinegar, those types of products. And they're both really important, and they both do specific things in the cleaning process. So it's pretty important to, to understand the differences. And uh, for example, the alkalines, just like in your household, they, they're going to clean uh, our soils like oils and that kind of thing, organic soils. They're going to clean a lot better. Where the acids are going to end up cleaning uh, inorganic soils, you know, better, which is why you'd use a product like CLR to remove, you know, rust stains from a bathtub or you know, calcium buildup or that type of thing from a, a, a kitchen sink or something like that. Okay, okay, and you obviously need both types of chemicals in the car wash process. Yeah, typically, um, yeah, typically we end up using both products uh, for just for that reason. There's varied soils, and we're trying to we're trying to remove those soils from the car. So, in different parts of the process, we'll end up using uh, de- you know, definitely both products. Okay, so inorganic soils. I mean, you gave an example like lime deposits. What are some other examples? Yeah, so really uh, anything anything that's never lived before is is kind of so you know clays, uh, abraded concrete. All that type of stuff, like caliche, uh, salts, you know, any of those kind of products are going to be inorganic soils, and, um, and you know, they're going to be pretty tough to clean. Okay, okay, good, good. That's interesting. Yeah, so both components are in there. So let me make sure I understand so I don't make the mistake again, but low pH is acid, high pH is considered alkaline. Correct, yeah. Okay, okay, good, good. So what are some new developments you've seen in technology? There's been a lot of you know, not necessarily with chemicals, but how chemicals are stored, how chemicals are transported, how chemicals are, are delivered to the to the vehicle in the tunnel. Sure. Yeah, and I think actually, you know, kind of along along the lines we talked about what's new in soap, but one of the one of the definitely, you know, I guess watershed moments in, in the recent past is people going more concentrated and they're doing that for a variety of reasons, but um, one of the biggest reasons is shipping. Our shipping cost uh, typically is one of our, our highest uh expenditures uh, i mean it ranks right up there with employees and raw materials and and so we want to do the best we can to reduce it because it doesn't really bring uh, value to the customer uh so so we, you've seen all the major companies start to shift towards more concentrated products uh, 
there is a limit to everything, right? The too much of a good thing is can be too much of a good thing. And so what a lot of guys have found out is by over-concentrating. So we have the technology now to far outpace the dilution equipment. So we can, we can concentrate this stuff far greater than you can uh, consistently dilute it in your car wash. And so what we've had to find, or what we found out is that, you know, finding that sweet spot, finding that kind of happy medium, or we like to call it the Goldilocks zone of, of products that work with the existing uh, dilution equipment that's on the market, which kind of leads into another, you know, big development for chemistry over the years, which is uh, the advent of some of these pressurized dilution systems. Um, a couple of different companies are making them. Uh, I, I am a big fan of them. I believe they create a lot of consistency. Uh, whichever flavor you want to buy. Um, I'm not really biased that way, but I do think that that is one of the big variables of a car wash is, is water pressure, and some of the old dilution equipment is very susceptible to water pressure, so eliminating that variable um, helps us provide a consistent product to your, to your customer. And then I think, um, you know, the last thing I think that's really just kind of tip of the iceberg is going to be some of these monitoring systems that there's a lot of companies that are developing monitoring systems are already have some that are on the market. I think it's pretty early on to see how useful that's going to be, but I, I'm very excited about the technology and I think it's going to, you know, give operators a great deal of information at their fingertips and allow them to make better choices going forward. Right, right. Well, so when we, we talk about dilution systems, this is diluting it with water. Correct. Yeah. So everything that we sell is, is what we call industrial strength. Um, so even, uh, even their stuff that's less concentrated would still be very tough for like a household to use because you're still diluting it out hundred to one, 200 to one. And, uh, and so essentially, yeah, once we get the product to the car wash, we have to, you know, it has to interact with a piece of equipment to dilute it out to the proper range so it can be used on the car. Good. Okay. Okay. And the other factor that you would introduce into that process would be air, I guess. Yeah. So, um, you know, when you're talking about creating foam, yeah, there's really three key components, uh, the water, water pressure, air pressure, which is all boils down to fluid pressure, which is an important factor, right? Is, is creating a good appeal to your customer. And then the last one is chemical concentration. So those three things kind of come together to, to, you know, create whatever desired foam you want for your customer. And, and, um, you know, typically each product line has their own recommendations of what you need to hit to kind of, you know, get the best bang for the buck as far as, you know, customer appeal and cost. And that seems like it's a real balancing act because I know, you know with my car washes, we spend quite a bit of time trying to get that optimal amount of foam out there. So it's not too watery, but it's not too airy. And, you know, you can, you've got three different factors here. You've got chemical, air, and water, and you've got to be able to put the right concentrations of each into that process in order to make it work. Yeah, I agree. I think, uh, you know, I spent a great deal of time over the years. In fact, I would tell you, um, when I show up in car washes, even today, I would, it's very hard for me not to spend time on some foaming application to either make it look better or, you know, the downside to foam is, is carry off, right. Which is, um, you know, anecdotally talking to customers over the years, one of the most frustrating things for customers, they don't understand why you didn't rinse their car completely. You know, they, they get down the street and there's blue foam coming out of a mirror or coming out of their luggage track or, you know, something like that. And, and it's very frustrating for them because it just, they just believe that that should be something that's easily removed. So we kind of fight that balance too, right, of, of trying to get the best show possible so that we create that customer appeal without causing a negative impact on the end product. Yeah, yeah. And so we, we've seen the advent of arches at the beginning of tunnels now. Quite a bit of, uh, quite a few operators have put in different arches to kind of create this foaming effect, cascading foaming effect. 
more for the customer. Uh, it's a great effect for the customer, but uh, from a cleaning standpoint, does that uh, are you finding that adds quite a bit? Or yeah, so I would I would say there's very little bang for the buck. I, you know, we would um, as far as cleaning goes, but when it comes to customer appeal and which is a part of all, all this, right? I mean, you know, I think it's companies like Starbucks. They obviously spend a great deal of money on the experience, right? So that you come in and and have a great experience, and and obviously you're you're paying for that and. I pay for it all the time. So, yeah. So the, um, but I think, so I, I think that's a little bit along the same lines is trying to separate yourself from the competition, trying to create a great experience. And, and definitely uh, the numbers prove out that the guys that are investing in these definitely have higher ticket averages are definitely creating more revenue, um, getting better reviews from their customers, that kind of thing. So I think, I think that, uh, that it definitely has its value from that, from a revenue generation and a, um, customer appeal standpoint but as far as actually putting out a clean car um it you could you could create the same cleaning with a lot less uh product put through a different type of arch yeah so really the best cleaning foam is a foam that's wet lays on the car and if you think about it the thicker the foam the more air it has in it the less surface contact with the vehicle it has so the less cleaning it's going to do okay okay so foamier foam I, i call it shaving cream foam sure um you know, that makes sense because it's got more air in it, which means it's not contacting the car as much. Yeah, but then there's reasons to have foamier foam, shaving cream foam too, right, for lubrication and that kind of stuff. So there's – so kind of everything has its place, right? But definitely that first arch, you know, when you're trying to put on a cleaning product, really thick foam, um, you know, typically tunnels have enough equipment, and these are typically going on in tunnel-type car washes to get the car clean anyways, um, you know, with, with a reduced uh, efficiency of the soap. But it's but definitely that's more for like I said the customer appeal, you know, and revenue generating standpoint than yeah. it is for the end product. Okay. Okay. Great. Now I know you spend a lot of time traveling in your job, and you see. Do you do you know how many car washes you see in a year? I mean, how many would you guess? Yeah, you know, I, I I've never I don't, I don't think I've ever really put a number to it, but I'm, I'm guessing that I, I probably see on average probably five car washes a week and I probably travel, I probably travel at least 40 weeks a year. So, um, you know, I, I see a couple hundred car washes probably a year. A year. Yeah, yeah. 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 And so you've got a lot of great experience. I think you and I became fast friends because one thing I appreciate is you've got a vast array of experience when it comes to car washes and you see a lot of different car washes, which means you get to see a lot of what people do correctly and what people don't do correctly. But what are some of the most frustrating things you see when you walk into a car wash either from an operation standpoint or from a chemical standpoint? Sure. Yeah. So for me, it's, it always kind of comes down to the end product. And I, I think that I know it's one of the things we've talked about, um, you know, personally over the years is, is having a good value proposition. So having a good value proposition and understanding that, that um, the end product is everything, right? I mean, if you don't put out a clean car, then, then this is all for naught. And, uh, I think that gets a little sideways sometimes and it goes both directions, but definitely um, I see guys get hyper-focused on cost and you know, it's, it's one of those things that there's a little soft science in this industry. There's actually a lot of soft science in this industry and you know, we, there's a lot of things we can do to reduce cost. And again, I think it's all about finding that sweet spot. What's the best bang for the buck? How do you create the greatest value for your customer at the least amount of cost? And, and I think that that's uh that's really a lot of times not where people are focused. And, and, uh, so I would tell you that's, that's, you know, and I, I've never met an owner that says, Hey, I want to put out a bad car. 
But, you know, sometimes actions are speak yeah. louder than words. Yeah. But so. you've always met an owner that says, I want to reduce my chemical costs. I've never met one that says they want to go higher. Yeah. So, yeah. So. You know, and, and, <laughs> so. and the, from my perspective, the frustrating part of that is I look as a business owner, I'm looking at what are my controllable expenses. I can't really control electricity. I can't really control water. I can control water to some extent. I can control labor. But, you know, the other variable costs I think I control a lot of times is chemicals. And so that's why we sort of delve into that realm of how do we reduce our chemical costs. Now, I've I've met some operators that have chemical costs that are totally out of control that really need to figure out how to rein it in. But overall, you see people also that probably are way overboard on trying to control their cost and trying to save a few pennies a car and end up producing a pretty pretty poor product. Yeah, I think, you know, um, and I, I kind of fall into this category too. You know, I could get into the, the analysis paralysis, right? I'm definitely a numbers guy and, and I can get to that point where I'm just, you know, being driven nuts by percentages or by a specific cost of something. And, you know, one of the unique things about this, um, one of the enjoyable things to me about it is every car wash is kind of a unique puzzle. And that's kind of what we're going to get into, I think, a little bit later on about how we kind of decode that puzzle. But, so, you know, I think comparing your cost to somebody else's down the street, it could be a dangerous um, approach, right? Because there's, you know, if a guy's got a 40-foot tunnel and he's washing uh, he's washing cars, 40 cars an hour, his his gate time is, is exceedingly slow. I mean, it might take 40 seconds, almost 45 seconds for a car to go through an arch. His costs are going to be significantly higher than a guy's doing 120 cars an hour. It's taking 30 seconds to go through that same arch. You know, he's going to be, you know, 25, 30% higher in cost than that guy. So kind of apples and oranges, and you think about all the different shapes and sizes of car washes out there, it definitely, um, you know, can can lead people astray. I think it's important to talk to other operators and see what they're doing and what they're doing to be successful, but I think you got to just take things with a grain of salt and, and kind of know your operation and what your capabilities are. And, again, you know, work with somebody who wants to build a long-term relationship with you and to, to drive that like again that sweet spot the best efficiency you could possibly get out of it so. yeah yeah so you know if you could catch an operator quickly before they got started what would be some advice you'd give them when it comes to how do i start developing a how do i start looking at i mean how should i look at chemicals in my overall operation yeah you know i i, I really start that conversation off kind of the same way i think you try to find the best service provider you can and you build a relationship with them and i i, I can't um I mean, I'd love to, you know, toot our own horn. I think we do a good job, and I think we support people well. But I think at the end of the day, the best service provider in your area is is, is the person you should be doing business with because it's they're going to help you the most. They're going to be intimately involved in your car wash. And, and I think that that's kind of where that learning curve starts. And, and from there on, you know, I think continue to educate yourself, but stay focused on producing a good product and, and having a clear value proposition, which we kind of touched on before, which is, a little bit tricky situation of what what do I want to produce at the end of this tunnel? And I think that it goes that that knife kind of cuts both ways. Some people don't understand their value proposition, and so they really don't know what they're trying to put out at the end of the tunnel. And then there's guys that create a value proposition that's so high, like every car is you know essentially going to be a mini detail, and that becomes very difficult to be successful and make money that way too. So it's um, so I think that's a, that's a it's easy to say, but it's a very tough thing to do to sit down and actually articulate what you want your value proposition to be and what each customer should expect from each guy, you know, each different package. Right. Right. And then look at the associated cost with it. If you're willing to spend a buck a car or $2 a car, that's great. Uh, there's, you know, there's some advantages and disadvantages with that, but if you want to 
spend 40 cents a car, 15 cents a car, you know, you're going to get a certain set of results as well. Yeah, I agree. I think, um, I know a lot of guys have gotten in this business because they were frustrated at, you know, I, it's a very common story. You know, I was going to the car wash down the street and frustrated with the performance they were doing. So I decided to get in the business and, and, uh, those guys then, you know, learn that it's not always easy to clean cars. Right, you know? right, right. Yeah. Yeah. It's a constant, it's a constant, it's one thing that we constantly look at at our wash and we're constantly managing it. And I've probably been one of those people that overmanaged chemicals for a long time. I try to get my site managers to overmanage it where we look at it every week and we're looking at all our cost every week. And I've sort of backed off of that a little bit just because probably it wasn't beneficial, but also I was just driving people crazy and making them do a lot of work that, you know, wasn't giving us any benefit. So if you had to kind of recommend a chemical management program, what would be your recommendation to an operator? Yeah, sure. I think there's some some really, you know, we can kind of take this from different chunks. I think I think at a minimum, uh, the most accurate way to do a cost per car is to do it by inventory. Um, and so at a minimum, what I would do is, and there's some, some you know, I could probably get some hate mail for this, but there's <laughs> there's some, uh, there's some, again, some, some fudge room here, but if you were to, if you were just to take your six months or whatever, three months of chemical purchases and divide it in by the cars there, you're not compensating for what you have in inventory. But if you were just to do that, it'll give you a rough idea of where you're at. And then there, you know, you can find national averages. Um, different magazines uh, have have the national averages out there. But on top of it, the ICA puts out national averages for chemical cost. And just see if you're in that, that ballpark. And... Um, and it's one of those things that I try to explain to people. And then, and then kind of going back to what you're talking about, if you're offering a lot of extra services, if you're adding a lot of sizzle to the steak, well, you're probably going to be on the higher end of that national average. If you're kind of a bare bones car wash and you're, you're only applying exactly what's needed to get the car clean, which there are some operators that, you know, that, that choose to go that direction, then you're going to probably be a little lower on that, on that scale. And then depending on the speed of your car wash and a lot of other variables, kind of take that into into advantage but i would say that that at a minimum i would definitely be looking at my numbers quarterly and just seeing if i'm in the ballpark um beyond that i mean finding a good service provider that provides you with cost per cars and um if you're a guy that needs to see numbers more which i would definitely be in that camp and i know you're in that camp and i think monthly doing a doing a cost per car by inventory which is um, then you can kind of tighten that up a little bit where you're actually taking a beginning inventory at the beginning of the month and ending inventory at the end of the month putting in your purchases during that time period and dividing it by the cars you washed. Right. And you can break that down even by package and that kind of stuff. And, and um, I know we provide tools for that, and I know probably a lot of other cool companies provide tools to kind of spreadsheets and whatnot to kind of help you, you know, figure all that kind of stuff out. But I think that that, that would be a, a pretty good range. I think once you start going beyond that, yeah, I think you kind of go back into that analysis paralysis where you're, you're looking at the numbers so much, and there's really – only so much you can do with yeah. that information. So. Yeah. Yeah. And it goes back to where you're spending versus what are you getting? Exactly. And so you've talked me off the cliff a few times as far as uh, chemical costs, where I think it should be lower. But in general, when you look at it, if you say, well, you should be spending this amount for drying agent, you should be putting out this amount of milliliters per car, which we, we track it to that level. We track, um, you know, how much we are putting out per car per package. And you got to come up with a decent range, right? You can come up with five, milliliters it doesn't really help the car get dry and you can take it all the way up to 15 milliliters where it's really you're putting so much on it's not being effective 
Yeah, I think it's no. I think this is kind of really keeps tying back into you know making sure that you're hitting that you know the most effective spot you possibly can, right? And and uh, you know the, the a great example that you, you use drying agent, but a great example that is is like your lubricating foam um, or your wrap foam or whatever you want to call it. That's a, definitely a product that you know at a, at a certain usage it's going to look like shaving cream. You could double that usage; it still looks like shaving cream. Oh, really? You, you could okay. triple it. You could quadruple it. You know, so I mean, you, we could literally turn it up ten times what it should be being used, and it becomes a lot harder to rinse off the car because the concentration is a lot higher. Sure, but it's going to look to the eye almost exactly the same as it did at the proper usage range. Okay. Um. So the, you know, like we're drying agent, you can if it's definitely if you're using too little, you know, right? It, it's also like, okay. I'm not drying cars anymore. That's one of those products where um, you could definitely be all over the board cost wise and really be giving yourself actually shooting yourself in the foot you know uh, because you're making it so much more difficult to rinse the vehicle so a good distributor would be able to say your drying agent based on your line speed based on your tip sizes you should be within this range of usage yeah and i would even say that yeah uh, good distributors good service providers and and beyond that i think you know good manufacturers can provide you with that information as well i i you know there's definitely um, one of the things we work really hard on is making our products very easy to work with. I know a lot of other manufacturers do as well. So, it's, you know, that's the other side of this. The other side of the chemistry is, is not just that it's a great product, but it's easy to use. And um, and so we definitely provide tools that will kind of, you know, bracket you into where you should be. Um, they are general tools. They are kind of built on, you know, kind of a vanilla, mm-hmm. uh, you know, basis. But they'll definitely let you know if you're way out of the league or, you know, where you should be. Okay. Okay. Good. Good. This episode of the How of Car Washing is sponsored by Diamond Shine. Diamond Shine is the premier car wash chemical manufacturer dedicated to maximizing the profitability and performance of car washes. Efficiently producing clean, dry, and shiny cars nationwide, Diamond Shine helps operators create a top-notch wash experience and satisfied repeat customers. From branding and marketing to on-site problem solving, Diamond Shine's team delivers results. Visit DiamondShine.com today to learn more from the industry experts. So you've got, uh, when you talk to people, I know you've done a lot of presentations in the past, but you've got a presentation you've done called The Five Factors of Cleaning, which is, which is uh, you know, pretty pretty famous presentation if I'm not mistaken. Well, I think it's, uh, I don't know if, I don't know if, I, it's been around for a long time. I think it's, um, uh, we, we have our spin on it and, uh, we've added a, we've kind of added a couple little, um, tags onto it. So we've, what we've kind of done is, is the base value proposition is clean, dry, shiny. And so we've took the five factors of cleaning and decided to, to focus on making it, first of all, uh, making an operator training instead of, a chemical guy training because all you know go 10 years ago and I, I gave this class but I gave it specifically to train new chemical reps and uh, we're trying to do uh, a better job of, of educating the operator because we think that ultimately a more educated operator is, is, is a better customer and, and they're gonna you know they're gonna get more out of our products which is gonna make them more loyal to us that kind of thing so the uh, so we've started down that road basing it on how to create the base value proposition clean dry shiny so how, how do we use the five factors of cleaning to get you a clean dry shiny car and uh, so the five factors are and, and is mechanical action 
Okay, so mechanical action is friction? Mechanical action is two things. It's either friction or uh, the effect of water on the car. So they call that impingement. And um, there, there's really, you can kind of subdivide all this stuff, but but those, if you were to, the two major categories are impingement and mechanical action. Mechanical action comes from things like your wrap brushes or really any cloth or any, any material that touches, actually physically touches the car. Okay. And then uh, obviously impingement comes from like your high pressure arches, whatever you're using. And it, actually most modern car washes, it is something that's very different. When I first started in this industry, you either, you either touch free or you were friction. There was very few hybrid car washes and now there's, you know, um, I'd say the majority of the car washes I go to are hybrid. They use okay. they use both. So. Okay. Okay. So um, when I was taught by a guy you used to work for, um, he taught me the whole concept of, you know, when your mom taught you to wash your hands, you had to, what did you have to do? You had to use water. So you wet your hands. You had to put soap on. And the third component was friction. So you had to rub your hands to get them clean. Sure. And if you take any one of those out of the factor, you've got to dramatically increase the other two. Yeah, and I would say that that's a good example. So, like, if you have grease on your hands, you know that rubbing your hands together is never going to get the grease off, right? A you're good just, point. You're yeah. just going to smear the grease around. Right. So, um, so having a product like, uh, you know, whatever that orange product is, yeah. <laughs> can't even think of it. you know, the shop, the yeah. shop soap, right. you know, having something like that that breaks down the grease and has a little grit to it creates a little bit more friction is is kind of part of that puzzle. And so, absolutely, I think that um, you know, it's, it's a good one to start with. Mechanical action does solve a lot of a lot of ills. In fact, we joke around it. You know, it's you know, it forgives a lot of sins, right? Mm-hmm. So yeah. Um, so the more mechanical action you have, the less dependent you are on the other factors. Uh, the less mechanical action you have, the more dependent you are on the others. Right. Right. So okay. So that's that's number one. Yeah, number one. The second one I mentioned was water quality, and and I would you know this one arguably could be depending on the type of car wash you have the most important, and I would tell you that. 90% of the time when I come to a car wash to solve a cleaning issue, it's a water quality issue. Really? Okay. Yeah, a vast majority of times. And, okay. And, it, and so typically uh, you have something like five or six grains of hardness. Uh, the I guess the rule of thumb is 3 to 5% loss of efficiency of your product. And so, you know, if you have five grains, you're anywhere from 15 to 25 uh, percent loss in efficiency and when you think about like the thin road film and we'll kind of get into that a little bit later why that's such a trick to to clean on a car it uh it's just very very difficult if you're if you're kind of like i said slowing your efficiency down by that much sometimes it's hard to achieve those results that you want and we really break water quality down into two things um hardness which is uh tested in grains and there's a you can buy test kits or you know a lot of chemical companies i'll tell you and then and when it says three grains i what what what's the is that a measurement that's yeah, a measurement it's it's looking for calcium and magnesium in the water okay uh one grain equals 17 parts per million um which is another we'll talk about in a second is another measurement but uh so just for our purposes for for uh the hardness purposes is tested in grains and that goes back to that thing we were just talking about a grain equals about a three to five percent loss in efficiency and and it's actually when you know I do a physical class, I actually mix product up in a uh, one with soft water and one with hard water, and you can physically see it. I mean, if, and usually I try to find water in that five to eight grain range because that's where a lot of a lot of cities are. You know, I mean, obviously some people have far worse water and far better water, but but that's where you know, in kind of my travels, the rule, you know, is where a lot of people end up. And um, so you 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 put it in the jar and you shake it up, correct? And then you would show. 
water that might have been treated or water that has few yeah. grains and what what happens to the yeah. to the foam yeah correct so yeah one's soft and one's not and um and we, you know we call you know soft water it doesn't have no hardness or um and essentially it's a couple of different things but one of the things that's really interesting is you can actually feel the difference so the foam in the soft water is going to be denser and it's going to feel denser so it actually takes up more volume in that water bottle so when you shake it it actually feels like more solid which is kind of a deal but so it's a higher foam thicker foam and then you go over to the one that's in hard water, it's going to be a little bit more open cell. It's it's a lot looser. It's got a lot less density to it. And, and lastly, the one in the hard water, the foam will stay foamy longer, which I know is probably not the, okay. the best way of putting yeah, it. But yeah, so, so it kind of takes some of the legs out of it too. And um, But it also affects the cleaning properties. Essentially, if you think about it, you're trying to clean that calcium magnesium out of the water before you start cleaning anything off the car. Okay. Okay. So I know that certain parts of the country, like here in Colorado Springs where I live, the water quality is very good because we get snowmelt water. So most of our water is stored in reservoirs around the Front Range and out in the middle of Colorado, and we get to pump it over, and it's snowmelt water where certain municipalities would use well water. So is it is it the the geography of the of the place that determines hard water or soft water or what? Yeah, a lot goes into that. I think it's, yeah, the source, I think, which is what you just kind of hit on, has a big part to play with it. Um, And then there's just natural places that are like, and and then, I mean, just a lot of things, you know. So you go to West Texas where they have a lot of, uh, you know, there's a lot of drilling going on, that kind of stuff. Uh, I've seen sites out there that have like 40-grain hard water. Oh, my goodness. Um, But then you go to Arkansas, and it's one or two everywhere you go in Arkansas. Oh, really? Okay, okay. So it's... um, so there's a lot of factors that go into it, and, and a lot of it is the source where they're pulling the water from. And, and but I would tell you that um, even in your case, uh, you you would benefit from a softener. I don't you think, think we'd benefit from yeah. one? Yeah, okay. yeah, you're at like three, I think. Yeah, three to five okay. typically is what we've tested at your site. And um, so that's again when you talk about things like um, you know creating foam, like you know creating the right kind of triple foam show, that kind of stuff. It's you know, we're already starting off with somewhere in that kind of nine to almost 10%, right? 10% to, uh, you know, to maybe even closer to 15, 20% loss of efficiency in foam. So. Right, right. I know they're pumping water up from the Arkansas River now. So one thing we're seeing, and this is another water quality question called total dissolved solids. So we see that on our, our, our reverse osmosis machines to make spot-free water. What is TDS? Yeah, correct. So that's the second piece of water quality. So at the end of the day, the last thing you, a lot of car washes put on a car is, is spot-free water to make the car not spot. Right. And um, and so we test that in TDS, and, and TDS stands for total dissolved solids, which you kind of – and basically what the, the way they were doing that measurement is – the way I like to think about it is if you had a million pounds of water, so imagine a great big swimming pool, there's a million pounds of water. If I took one pound of sugar and I threw it in there, that'd be one TD, it'd be one TDS. So it's 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 actually a pound, it's actually a measurement of weight. It's one pound of of solids to it dissolved into uh, you know whatever a million pounds of water. Okay. So if you get a reading of like forty, um, then you you essentially would have forty pounds of sugar in that million gallons of water, and um, it's actually pretty shocking. We do this in the class too. Where we'll take a glass of water, and we'll literally try to like parse out three or four grains of salt. We'll take the glass of water, we'll take the TDS reading, and then we'll drop those three or four grains of salt, and you typically see a jump like 30 or 40 points. Oh, wow. So it just doesn't take a whole lot of solid material to really make the – and, of course, if I took that out, you know, that same water out and threw it on a car, it would definitely spot. 
Okay. So, so okay. The, the key there is we want things under 20 parts per million. So you really, when you're building a car wash and you're operating a car wash, your water quality needs to be a big part of your strategy. Yeah, I think it's it's one of the most important resources we use. I think it's um, you know it's our secret diluting agent, as we talked about earlier, right? It's how we dilute our products. Um, it's how we really transport those products to the car. Um, yeah, it has it has a lot to do. And then the other piece that we don't talk about a lot is is reclaim water, and it really should be you know emphasized too. And there is another measurement there of total suspended solids, which we don't talk about very much at all, which would kind of be the third piece of the water quality and. Reclaims can, depending on the soil content that you have in your area, can start to increase in, in suspended solids. And there's a test for that as well, but that's a lab test. You essentially you weigh, you run the water through filters and then weigh the filters to see, you know, how much suspended solids you have in it. But anybody can imagine this. If you've ever seen like a murky pool or like muddy water or whatever, oh, yeah. you know, that's, that's essentially suspended solids. So they're not dissolved in the water like sugar would dissolve in the solids. You can actually do this with sugar too, but... Um, you can continue to add sugar to like a hot glass of water, and at some point you'll have a little pile of sugar on the bottom. Well, it can no longer, that's called supersaturation. It can mm-hmm. no longer hold any more sugar in the water. But any, any sugar that's floating around in there at that point would be suspended, right? So the, the little crystals that you can still see. So the um, so as you get into some of the finer clays and that kind of stuff, they have a high propensity to, to stay in suspension. They can go past the different uh, separators inside your reclaim system, and it can really cause some people problems. And I've actually been on sites before where the cars are actually coming out dirtier than they were coming in. Oh, my goodness. So it was just a unique challenge. Right, right. Okay, so that's number two, making sure water quality is important. Make sure water quality is really important. So so we talked about mechanical action, water quality. Uh, the next one is temperature, which um, the this affects the temperature of everything, the temperature of the car, the temperature of the water. Uh, the temperature of the bay. Um, so all those things play, and temperature equals activity. So, but there's, uh, to everything we've talked about, there's a limit, right? So, and the limit typically is cost. Uh, adding more friction creates cost. Getting better water quality creates extra cost. And so that's the that's the offset, right? And, and that's where we, I was talking about earlier, kind of figuring out this puzzle is to, is, there is a diminishing return to everything we're talking about. So when we go into to temperature, uh, typically, this is one where we 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 know about it, we acknowledge it, but unless it's a critical issue that's causing a problem in the car, we typically don't do much about it because the cost of heating water is uh, typically prohibitive. It, it it sometimes can far outpace the cost of the chemistry. So we typically get bigger bang for the buck at just adjusting the chemistry. But we have had situations. Um, I had a situation last year where one of the things that it was a good learning experience for me is that uh, groundwater can vastly differ. I mean, I always knew that groundwater in Florida was warmer, warmer than, than yeah. groundwater here. Yeah. But I kind of thought there was a magical point that groundwater hit, you know, 56, 57 degrees. I don't know why. It just in my mind that that's as cold as groundwater got. And we ran into a, a problem in Colorado, actually, where the groundwater was 42 degrees. And, and it was, um, and sure enough, and we, we started digging into it and, I mean, that's the U.S. Geological Survey who shows that it's 42 degrees in that area and a little map you can find online. But, and, uh, but anyways, uh, it was causing problems for the guy. It was so cold that, that it was, re, you know, retarding the, the effectiveness of the chemistry, and we, were, we ended up having to, to bleed in some hot water to bring up his water temperature to, you know, 50, 60 degrees to make it work. So you'd recommend, is there an optimal temperature you'd recommend? Yeah, so on the high side, um, I would tell you that every product works better with warm water, right. um, every product is going to work better 
with hot water up to about 120 degrees, beyond 120 degrees. Um, because of the, the makeup of some of this chemistry, every chemical will have a cloud point, and actually a lot of times the cloud point will be in the uh, SDS sheet. And uh, once you reach the cloud point, it, it kind of falls out of suspension. And, you, and anyways, you lose the efficiency of the product. So um, 120 is about as safe on the high side. And uh, if you did have a product that you wanted to take that you felt was safe to go over 120, we never recommend over 140. And the reason for that is because you start to get scalding hot water and it becomes a safety hazard in the car wash. Right, right. So we, we used to heat our water uh, for chemicals, but we had the old, what I call RTU systems or the, the ready-to-use buckets. So they would sit there and we would mix our chemicals with warm water and then they could sit there for a while and then by the time they got delivered out to the tunnel, the temperature difference from when it was mixed versus when it was delivered, you'd see a drop in temperature. And I don't know, for whatever reason, we decided not to heat our chemicals anymore. But you would you would recommend, I mean, now we've got a pressure pump system, delivery system, where we could we could probably pull in hot water directly. Would you, would you recommend heating water? Yeah. So, again, I think like in, in, in your case and specifically in your case, I think it would be better, you know, if you were just going to make one investment to look at it, softening your water would make a bigger impact for your chemicals. And then uh, – but if, if beyond that you felt like you are having some specific cleaning issues like with wheels or something like that, then I would look at heating specific applications. Okay. Like okay. your pre-soak or your wheel cleaner. And that, that that's a bigger bang for the buck, you know, than, than to like try to heat every single product. So, okay, and there are some issues too with you know with again everything has its has its limiter right. So there are some issues, especially with some of these pressurized systems. They already have a little bit of problems handling hot water, and then you you know if you add you know or when they bypass the heat the water, that can cause problems with the pumps. Um, so if you're adding hot water to that equation, sometimes that definitely shortens their lifespan. Yeah, yeah. Some of those pumps use cold water to cool. Yeah. So. So yeah. Yeah. So, so there's, so from that standpoint, I think that, um, you know, really that's what I was saying, unless there's a specific cleaning application, like if you're a touch-free wash and you're only doing touch-free cleaning, then by, by, um, by far you need, you need to have hot water. I mean, it's really a critical component. If you're spending most of your cleanings done by friction, um, then hot water becomes less of, less of an issue. Okay. Okay. So number four in the five factors of cleaning is it's time so time. And we talked about that a little bit earlier with the cleaning your dishes and that kind of stuff and so you know there's a limiter to this too yeah um, but obviously the longer you can spend like the longer the brush spins on a car uh, the more cleaning it's going to do right so uh you know the way we control that in the tunnel is by controlling the track speed and slowing down the track speed is going to give you a cleaner car so you're going to get a cleaner, drier car if you slow down your track speed. But the, the downside of that is throughput, right? You're going to reduce the slope. Right. Yeah, the slower you make it, the less cars you can wash. So in um, in other types of car washes, like in-bay types car washes, that kind of thing, uh, there is there's yet again another limiter, which is the amount of patience a customer has. So like it, to, like we could put a pre-soak on and then let it sit for uh, you know, 40, 50 seconds. Basically, let it sit up to the point where before it starts drying. You know, we never want products to dry in the car. There are some products specifically made to do that, but in the mo- in you know in general terms, it's not a good idea. So the uh, but so there's that limiter. But even beyond that, there's customers' patience. And what we found over the years and is about 20 seconds. A customer, nothing going on for 20 seconds. A customer will drive out of the car wash. Really? Okay. So okay. the so so we've. Uh, so that so, but we've used that. We've kind of designed our products around that, and a lot of other companies have too. That to kind of you know get the most efficiency as quickly as possible. 
Um, and like I said, in the tunnel, it really comes down to, to how fast you're running your conveyor. And, um, and obviously, you know, in, in our part of the world, people run, run really high track speeds. And so there's, there's some challenges with that, but, um, but that's to wash the volume of cars that, that we typically wash here. Uh, you go down, down South and you typically are going to see a lot slower track speeds and, you know, we, uh, you know, we use similar chemistry, but we're typically using it a, a weaker. So, okay. Okay. You might end up, so my, I got a relatively high track speed, so I'm going to put a higher concentration of chemical on the car. Correct. Yeah. We're, we're, we're doing things to compensate for that. Yeah, and, or in some cases, like, uh, I might have two sets of equipment. I might have two sets of wraps instead of one set. Correct. And, um, yeah, I think it's, it, it really is longer tunnels, right? You start building longer tunnels, more equipment, that kind of thing. But even with all that being said, no, we're, we still have to adjust, uh, the concentrations to make sure that they're going to react quickly enough to, to, you know, cause we're, you know, a lot of times between, between arches, you just have a, you know, really a handful of seconds before it goes into the next application. So, right, right. And, and that brings up a concept of dwell time. Do we that's, have time to talk about that? No, that's, what, that's it. That's what we're talking about. Time is okay. the fourth one. It okay. is dwell time. It's just another another way of calling it. Yeah. Okay. So. so so I've heard dwell time for time the chemical sits on the car. Um, and I've heard it also used for after you rinse, there's a there's a time between rinsing and drying. Yeah, like the drip space, right? So, okay. So, yeah. So, you know, when we're talking about time, yeah, definitely the time the equipment has to work, the time the soap has to work, which would be considered dwell time. Uh, the time the car has to dry, all those things kind of come into effect with time. And, and so that's the other way you can control time in the car wash is by spacing, right? Having a longer tunnel, creating more space between applications. Um, but that's another one that's gone away, right? So because people have put more equipment in to get the car clean, the drip space, you know, when I first started in this, um, it was not unusual to see like a 150-foot tunnel with, you know, maybe a maybe a dozen pieces of equipment. Okay, in. okay. You know, so there was, you know, big space between them, you know, 10, 15 feet between each piece of equipment. And and when I say, you know, I'm talking like I'm counting arches as part of that too, right? Okay. You know, so like they'd have a pre-soak arch, maybe a meter curtain, you know, and then a, a set of van sides or something like that. And it was, but there was a lot of space between the equipment. And a lot of times, you know, definitely was not unheard of to see 15, 20 feet of drip, of drip space or, or not more. And uh, now a lot of times we're lucky if we get two feet of drip space. Yeah. So um, so it's definitely changed. It's changed the way we make our chemistry. Um, this kind of goes back to what we were talking about, you know, making things that are car wash specific that are designed to react in this time and space that we have to, to work with in the different, all the different conditions, water conditions and all that kind of stuff yeah. that we deal with. Okay. Okay. But, uh, but yeah, dwell, dwell time is important. I think that, um, you know, there's sometimes one of the limiting factors is you, you've kind of, again, got the puzzle you've got. So if you've got a car wash, it's, if you can move it, you can move it. Then there has been some equipment changes to this too, which we can talk about in a second. But but um, if you can move arches around and move blowers around to kind of create more space, um, typically a good thing. But a lot of times it, it, it's just not possible, right? For, yeah. You know, and, and um, but there are some, some things now like the buff and dry, which uh, are, I guess, I you know, Buff and shine. I don't know if there's any other ones, but anyways, the drying brushes yeah, that, yeah. that are coming out. I'm seeing more and more of those uh, going in. And I, I personally, I think they're a good product. I think that uh, whichever brand you buy is, it's kind of up to you. But I think the what they do is, is any little beads or drops that are left on the car, they do a pretty good job of, of taking that off and and definitely creates a different a different level of experience for your consumer. Yeah. Yeah. We were in, uh, took a car wash tour this summer in Europe and pretty much every car wash we went to over there had some sort of cloth drying 
technology at the end of the tunnel after the blowers because I think it's just expected that uh, you know when you when you look through your windshield and you just watch your car, it's nicer to have it with no water spots versus when it has water spots. Yeah, I agree, and I think that you know, like especially like our part of the world where it's dry, dusty. Um, you know, it doesn't take, you know, they go to the office, they park the car, you know, if they're hitting the freeway going 70 miles an hour, no problem. But if they just drive a few blocks at 30, 40 miles an hour and then park outside, you know, by the time they come out, you know, there's, there's dust on the car, there's, you know, there's pollen on the car, whatever, you know, that, that tracks, that water tracks and, um, you know, it just doesn't leave a great experience, right? Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. So the fifth factor. Fifth factor is chemistry. So that's my favorite factor for <laughs> okay. um, obvious reason. <laughs> so it's, uh. But it, it really, that comes into some of the stuff we've already started talking about, like why you should, when you should use alkalins, when you should use acids, um, creating the right kind of products for lubricity, um, how to, you know, the pH of the car, how to get the cars the right pH so that it's prepared to dry. And this kind of ties back into when we're talking about the five factors of cleaning it. You know, it's uh, drying agent isn't the only way to get the car dry. That there's other things we need to do to prep the car to get it there and. And really make sure that it's in a good spot to to give the best pop possible, you know, best pop of water, best shine, all that kind of stuff. So that's um, so chemistry is 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 kind of a, a broad one, and, and you know, we could really probably talk about this for for hours and hours about about the difference. But I would say that you know we already kind of hit on one of the the key components of it, which is knowing what an acid and alkaline do well. Um, the next one is that uh, we typically. Um, the way we recommend washing cars is to do a little bit of alkaline up front because alkalines are great general cleaners. And um, so we like to do a little bit up front to help with the oily soils, to help clean wheels, tires, that kind of thing. But then really the rest of the car wash, we want to be low pH. And, and depending on the situation, we even sometimes will we'll use a super low product um, mid-tunnel to, to really bring down the pH of the car. We want the car to be slightly acidic as it's coming into the drying agent. And, we, and the reason for that is it just dries better it gives a better shine the car the end product just looks a lot better um so that's typically what we do in tunnels when you're uh when you're doing touch-free car washing we we kind of stick with the traditional touch-free cleaning which might not mean anything to anybody on it but the traditional way of doing it is to do acid first then alkaline um and there's reasons for that but we just find we get the best cleaning results that way and that goes back to when you eliminate friction you've got a i mean the cost per car in a touch-free tunnel is much, much higher. Yeah, so, um, yeah, period. And touch-free car washing is, is typically at least two to three times what it would be in a friction-type yeah. car wash. I mean, yeah, they're, they're cost per cars. If they, they would, uh, if we could deliver your cost per car to a touch-free guy. <laughs> he would be happy. Yeah, they would definitely want to try to kiss us. You yeah, know, so. happy, happy man. Um, quick question on a couple things. Uh, polishes, triple foam. What what does that, I mean? Uh, we can get into a little bit of uh, automotive technology. What is what are some changes you've seen in automotive clear coat and, and paint technology, and sure. how does that affect our yeah. ability to clean? Yeah. So the um, the biggest the biggest I think issue is that clear coat is still paint, right? And and I think that it's still porous. Okay. And so I think that that a lot of people think that this is magical thing that's put on a car and it no longer needs to be protected. Well, that, that, that's a good point. I never thought of clear coat as paint. So, I so, thought it was I thought it was magic. Yeah, well, and it's a uh, so I think you know, so one of the things that happens, you know, really it's the, the car's finishes are making our jobs easier, right? I mean, I think there are 
they're better. You know, they're they're better. They definitely were when they were back in the eighties, and you know, which I didn't. I wasn't washing cars back then, but I. <laughs> I was around cars back then, but uh, then and then coming even into the '90s, where you you know you had cars that didn't have clear coats, and you'd really have some embedded soils on the on the on the, on the surface of the car. But but as as technology goes forward, I think it is going to get a little easier to clean cars. I think that auto manufacturers are all, I think all the major ones are trying to you know to invest in making cars easier to clean. I, I think you know they're. You know, everybody hears about Mercedes trying to come up with a paint that never has to be cleaned, right? That kind right. of thing. So so the. Um, but I think that they understand that it's an important part of car, car ownership is being able to maintain the product. So I think it's going to get easier to clean, but I don't think it's, you know, in, in uh, the foreseeable future, it's going to get to the point where where you're going to change, like, the chemistry that you're using, where you're going to more lubricating soaps and less cleaning products. But um, but that, but that's the biggest thing is the clear coat, being a paint, still needs to be maintained. And I do think that there's that, that you know, when you start upselling products that are good premium protectants that actually do something for the car you're providing a value to the customer um you know i'm i know you do you wash your car a lot yeah i know uh i you know the last car i traded in was you know almost a 10 year old uh expedition and the surface of that paint of that car looked perfect and i just washed it i mean i washed it a lot you know probably got washed 40 times a year right but i never hand waxed it i never Put any, you know, I never detailed it, never had anybody detail it, but you know, just washing it regularly, putting protectant on it, it, it definitely it makes a difference. Made a huge difference. Yeah, people us. are really surprised. I had an expedition a well, it was over well over ten years old when I, I I got rid of it, and people were amazed how how old it was based on how it looked. And my truck as well. I I probably washed my car 150, 200 times a year. Because, like, today I washed it twice. I went through each wash and looked and checked the quality and see what was going on. But it gets washed quite a bit, and it looks great. I mean, it just – it looks terrific. It cleans better, right? That's the other other advantage of cleaning your car pretty often. It's like if you didn't clean your clothes very often, you know, they wouldn't come clean the first time you ran them through the, the washer. Yeah, and I – you know, and I, yeah, we use the, the dirty dish one, right? Like if you were to, you know, cook cook cheese in a pan and then leave it sit for a month – it's gonna be a pretty tough chore. And you've done that before. I might have done. That. <laughs> no, I got you know. I'm gonna tell my mom here a little bit. You know, so she, hopefully she doesn't listen to this. But the, uh, you know, she'll wash her car twice a year, and she'll be upset both times. Yeah. So, okay. so, so yeah, yeah, that's exactly. And then I started asking people how often do you wash your car, um, and I don't think I get. I don't always get the answer. You know, I, I think a lot of times they know where I'm going with it, um, and they feel like I'm trying to you know sell them on more car washes, but. Um, I think it does make a big difference. I think the car cleans easier, you know, when you put protectants on it, the dirt doesn't stick to it as, as readily as if it would, if you just didn't wash it or, or polish it. Yeah, I agree. And I think even, you know, in your home, I think, you know, we have a, one of those kind of glass showers and it's, you know, some people even wax those things, you know, to keep the water off, but we, we use the squeegee every day and I would, you know, I think it's just a little bit of maintenance, right? We never really have to clean it. Yeah. You know, we never have to get out and scrub it and scrub the, you know, like the, you know. So I think it goes a long ways. And there's definitely, you know, it's one of the, I think, one of the advents of kind of club washing, I think, is going to, you know, create for us is that at some point uh, we might see some efficiencies on, on the on the backside of that from, you know, just people washing their cars more often and just a little easier to hit that, you know, that, that acceptable target for them. Yeah. So talk about polish. What does polish do for a car? Because I, I don't really know. Okay, so, so 
So, uh, so triple foam polish really. Uh, when you're talking, you're, I think you're specifically talking about triple. Yeah, foam. Yeah, and in our case, it's a triple foam. It's a triple color. So yeah, so so typically, there's there's first of all, there's one of the things that I I want to start this off is different companies call polish or classify polishes differently. So some classify polish as a cleaner. Um, the majority of the major companies in the industry consider a polish a, t- a type of like a protectant or what we would call a cationic or it's a positively charged product. So um, we think positively charged products are going to attach to the car. So like your drying agents are Mm -hmm. cationic, they're positively charged there. Um, They're going to attach the car and then the the products that are going to clean the car are typically anionic or non-ionic and they're going to kind of repel from the car or have no no charge because we, we, again, we assume the car is negatively charged. Okay. And I say we assume that, but it's, I mean, that's the way the chemistry works. So definitely we understand that. The um, so most of the major manufacturers that would be the first classification of why it's called a polish is that it's it's positively charged product it's cationic. Um, then some of those guys will put some protectants in it, uh, but I would tell you that in the vast majority it is colored foam. Okay, and it's there for the appeal of the customer. Um, I know we have different variants of it, and some of our variants are do have silicone, they're silicone fortified, and I know some other companies do too. So if that's something that you really want to promote, that you're actually putting something on the car that's going to stick around, uh, we do have that option for you. But I would say the vast majority of car washes are putting on are putting on colored foam. Okay, okay. Yeah. And then the last product, which most people don't understand, are the waxes. So what does a wax do when it adheres to a car? There's really very, very few waxes in the car wash. So that you know there was actually, um, most of these are like, uh, their oil derivatives or their like their mineral seal oils that type of mm-hmm. thing are their silicone fortified products. Um, there's quaternary mixes. There's a bunch of different products that they put in there, but but they actually classify a product as a wax. It has to have a natural wax in it. And um, so like um, a lot of these hot waxes that you're seeing now, like the bubble type arches at the end, mm-hmm. are, those those will typically most manufacturers will put some some um, I mean, you know sometimes even a, a good deal amount of of uh, of natural wax, and they're typically carnauba wax, and, mm-hmm. and that's typically promoted, you know, on the product and maybe even on the menus. But as you get into like the super sealants and all that kind of stuff, um, they're typically polymers or or silicones, that kind of things, and they are designed to attach the car. And actually, they're better products. I mean, they're better for protecting the car. So like uh, like a carnauba wax being applied through a spray arch is going to have a very short lifespan on the on the surface of the car, where um, you know, there's definitely some polymers out there that people will, are guaranteeing for, you know, a month, you mm-hmm. know, so that, that type of thing. So it's, it's, uh, so we understand that that's probably a better way of protecting the car and the spray, like the spray, like you're calling them waxes, but the spray products, like the super sealants and then the clear coat protectants, that kind of thing. Those are typically, like I said, different chemistry, but they last a lot longer on the car. Okay. Okay. Good. Good. All right. So that's your five factors of cleaning? That's five factors. So then the last thing I would talk about is we've talked about a lot is, is, is you know, the, the wow factor, the selling the sizzle, the, the presentation. And I do think that that's something that, you know, we talk about it. It's very, very important to your customer. So I guess it would be a six factor is, is kind of creating that wow factor in your car wash, that experience. And, I, and I, I can't emphasize the importance of that enough. I, you know, I know that um, that could be done with chemistry. Mm-hmm. But I would tell you more and more now, it's what we're doing is we're trying to create a good foam that's easy to rinse 
And we're using lights. And uh, I know that you recently. Yeah, uh, we've we've done it on one of our tunnels. We installed a lot of what we call pipe lights or LED lighting. And it, it gives the foam different colors, which is really interesting. Yeah, and I think so. It, and it, it creates a great customer appeal. It allows us to do some things differently with the chemistry, which makes it easier to rinse. Um, you know, adding color and stuff uh, definitely adds cost. But even beyond that, it just it creates some complications, even in the reclaim water, that kind of stuff. So. So it um, it's definitely we're seeing a trend going towards more people doing all white products and and using lights to to create the colored effect that they want. So I think that that's definitely um, we didn't talk about that in the beginning, but that's another big advent of okay, coming yeah. to coming yeah. to chemistry. And uh, but I think yeah, that that last piece of of creating a great show for your customers is is just really important. And, and I think um, a lot needs to be spent on that. And you know, I know we talked a lot about managing your chemicals, and one of the things that I wanted to definitely mention on this is that it's just incredibly important to to check your end product. And I, you know, I know we, me, and you have talked about this a lot of standing at the end of the tunnel and actually watching cars, and then following the process through the car wash to make sure that things are being applied. And it's funny, and I know you've experienced this. So something, even a light doesn't come on until you know. The customer could get the triple foam, but the light didn't come on until they got the triple foam. Yeah, the lights older, burned out. It's the older style of things. But, uh, you know, that customer is going to come around and say, hey, I didn't get the product. But I think that that's incredibly important that, you know, that when you do get a customer, you spend a lot of money to create a, a beautiful site and the, to really entice people to come there. So when you finally do get them there, you know, make the most of it. And, yeah, make and, it a good experience. But I think you did train me, and I think uh, we're going to start instilling that in our culture of, the manager in the first couple hours of the day stand at the end of the tunnel and watch cars and, and start cataloging, you know, how the car's looking. Is the foam being rinsed off? Is the back clean? Is the tire shine being applied properly? And uh, we're going we're gonna to create a, a checklist for that, but we want them, like you said, make it a culture. Yeah, I think it's, um, I think it's you know, obviously I'm very passionate about it. I think it's, I think it's incredibly important. And I would tell you that um, – just over the years, we started adopting that as a policy, that that's what we do. We just, you know, we introduce ourselves, make sure that, um, you know, somebody knows that we're on site. And then we, we first, the first thing we do is go look at cars. And I would tell you that it's, it's definitely helped us bring more value to the operators we work with because we're, um, you know, we find problems quicker. Yeah. You know, and, and we're able to bring problems to, you know, to, to light versus, you know, waiting for somebody to tell us and then reacting. So being a little bit more proactive than you know, reactive. And um, there's a lot of times I would tell you there's probably not a time I stand at the end of the car wash where I don't see something just in the end product that leads me to uh, to solving an issue for the operator, which is always kind of you know a good part of my job. Yeah, so. yeah, that's where you can have fun. It becomes that that uh, like you said a puzzle that you got to go back and put together, but uh, you can make some pretty big improvements. I've heard of you even coming to our washes. You know, you can make a big improvement pretty quickly by just looking at that end product. I think it makes makes a big big difference. Yeah, absolutely. And so I think it's, um, I think at the end of the day, that's what we're in the business to do. We're in the business to clean cars and, and that's how we're all making our living or at least a yeah. portion of our living. And, um, you know, so that's kind of where the rubber meets the road. Yeah. So one last question, what are you most excited about, uh, in the car wash industry in the future? Yeah, that's a, it's kind of a tough question. <laughs> so, um, I'm excited about a lot of things. I think that, you know, we're seeing some exceptional growth. I think that, um, you know, that, that as an industry, we're seeing some exceptional growth, but I, but I'm also, we're kind of becoming a, you know, a, a mainstream industry, you know, and it's a lot more professionalism coming into it. There's a lot more investment coming into it. And I think even on the technology side, um, like I said, we have, 
we're in a unique situation. We have raw material manufacturers, you know, bringing us opportunities saying, Hey, have you ever thought about trying to use this type of product to solve this type of issue? Mm -hmm. And where I think, um, you know, 20 years ago, there was probably a lot less of that, you know, and I didn't have quite as much visibility then as I do now, but, but I definitely, in my eyes can see the difference in the type of products we're using. And, and, um, so I think as things go on, it's going to be exciting to, to see the, the car washing industry change and see more people, you know, continue to make things specifically for the car wash industry that make our lives easier and, and, you know, allow us to be a little bit more productive. Yeah. Yeah. I'm excited about that too. I'm kind of a technology geek is my background and it's exciting to see what technology is going to be doing to make, you know, to make safety as there's so many things that technology can help, help address that we're not thinking about today. So that's my excitement. So, if, um, People want to find out more information about Diamond Shine. Where would they go? Yeah, so it's easy. It's just www.diamondshine.com, and uh, you can jump on there and got a great website, and it'll definitely got a lot of resources there to learn more about what we're all about. Good, good. Well, Ryan, thank you so much. This has been very helpful for me. I appreciate it. I'm going to go price out water softeners here in a little bit, but uh, <laughs> I appreciate your help, and thanks so much. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for joining us on this episode of The How of Car Washing. And thanks to our show sponsor, Diamond Shine. Please visit us at thehowofcarwashing.com for the show notes to this episode. Thank you for listening to The How of Car Washing. For more information, links, and other resources, please visit thehowofcarwashing.com. And leave us a comment if you have a topic you would like discussed. Thanks for listening, and we look forward to having you next time on The How of Car Washing.